This sermon, We Are Missional, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, September 12, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 28. The first of the four Gospels, if you're new to reading the Bible... And if you haven't been here for a number of weeks, we typically read through a uh, study through a book of the Bible, uh, verse by verse. We are taking a, a number of weeks to discuss and to teach what we believe are the seven common values that surface from Scripture in local churches. We call them the seven shared values because we share them with a group of churches called. Sovereign Grace Churches, and today I have the privilege of speaking about we are missional, and hopefully by God's grace you'll leave here today understanding how we see that in Scripture and a little bit of how it's played out in our church. So let's stand and let's read a passage I trust is familiar with you, but let's not let it be overly familiar to us. I'm going to start in verse 16 and read to the end of the chapter here, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Please take your seats as we pray. Lord, once again, we... Thank you that as you have called us, saved us, caused us to be born again, reconciled us to you, you have not left us then alone to be determiners of what we do, entrepreneurs trying to figure things out. Lord, you have given us a mission. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would help us deepen that conviction From your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of you know the Lambros family had the privilege of being with a small group of families and starting this church, planting this church we like to use. And like any family, that's going to put some challenges uh, into the fabric of your family. Our kids were, when we had our first... um, public service, Easter of 2000, our kids were 8 to 18, and those can be some difficult years, as many parents are saying amen right now, even though they're not nodding their heads. But, you know, we discovered something that I'm sure a lot of smart people already knew, but we discovered it experientially. It wasn't in the game plan for parenting. It wasn't in uh, any book that we read or some strategic intentional plan. But we discovered a simple principle that when you take on something way bigger than yourself, 
There's a lot of petty things that tend to go by the highway that just tend to be put off. Uh, And that principle served our family well. Church planting was so big, uh, you didn't have time to sit around and gripe and complain about what you weren't getting or what wasn't fair. It was an all-hands-on-deck kind of family involvement, and it served us well. And we learned as a family that having a mission like that really helps refocus everybody. It's not that our kids were angels, trust me. <laughs> uh, we had teenage conflict. We had marital conflict. We had uh, all the typical things. But in a way, it really helped us to focus our family's attention on this mission of getting this church plant going. And that principle is true. Have you ever noticed how many nonprofit organizations are out there? And what do they do? They gather up people and they get them focused on a mission. And they get after it with their time and their money. I think God had that in mind as he sent, as as Jesus sent these remaining 11 out, they would eventually add a 12th one. And I think that this mission is meant to inspire us similarly. That's the effect that I have been praying. And I know that's the effect that it had on these 11 disciples. I want to read to you a paragraph from our website that explains in brief what we mean when we say we are missional. Our gospel centrality entails us not only treasure the gospel personally, but sharing it passionately. The risen Christ commissioned his church to make disciples of all nations. We believe that commission falls to us and to all believers, and that is fulfilled in a primary way through church planting whereby the gospel is proclaimed and converts are formed into communities of disciples. We are eager to pursue this mission, relying fully on the Holy Spirit to see the gospel proclaimed and churches planted throughout the world that God may be glorified among every tribe, language, people, and nation. We'll look at Matthew 28 here and we'll add some other perspectives from Scripture. But here's what we're going to learn today. Very simple. Those whom God saves, God sends. Those whom God saves, God sends. And put your finger back in Matthew 28. My first point is called to go. Clearly, we can take that from Scripture here. Matthew ends this fantastic gospel with this commissioning scene. The disciples are with Jesus, the risen Jesus. They've worshiped him as he shows up. And then Jesus makes this astounding statement. You've got to be in this room and and just picture what's going on. Just a few days ago, in language we would use today, these 11 were a bunch of scaredy cats. They scattered And now Jesus says this, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. That must have hit them like a ton of bricks. So why is this important? 
Why, why is this something that should inspire us to mission? Well, it starts with Jesus. The one who has been given all authority in heaven and in earth was the one sent by God the Father. He's the one who submitted to the will of the Father. And as we heard at communion, he lived a perfect life. He died a bloody death. He was unjustly put to death. But that was part of a much larger, grander mission that started in Genesis 3. God has always been the mission God. He's always on a mission. God always has had a plan to reconcile sinners, stray people, people that have rebelled against him to himself. You can't read the Old Testament without constantly hearing the refrain, And I will be your God and you will be my people. That has been his plan all along. And Jesus, being a sent man, was part of this grand design, this grand mission. God in the Bible is a God of mission. It's important to start there because when we talk about our mission, it doesn't start with us. It's not like Tim and Derek are a brain trust with these amazing ideas. We are part of a much bigger, grander mission. We simply get to participate. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 49, and you get a picture of the parts he played. For I have not spoken on my own authority, this is Jesus, equal in the Godhead, saying, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. A perfect illustration of Jesus, the Son of God, submitting to this grander, most amazing, most noble mission. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that's not a role he played before. He was submitted to the Father. God is on mission to reconcile Sinners back to himself. Jesus will hear in the epistles is the cornerstone of the New Testament, of the new covenant, of the new era, of God's grand plan. But the mission is not complete. There is an unfinished task that is given to these 11 disciples, and they are not unique. They represent all those who get reconciled back to God. And we'll see in other parts of Scripture, you'll see if you read, that God gives the necessary gifts, the talents, the desires of those he saves so that we are equipped for this mission. Peter was uniquely equipped to build the church in Jerusalem. Paul was uniquely called and equipped and used outside to build churches and to take this message beyond Jerusalem. The the point is simply this. When God saves, he sends. All those whom God saves, he sends out in some way. Maybe for some of you, you're only sent to your family. 
to preach the gospel to your kids. Maybe others much larger influence, but all are sent. Your capacity, your ability, influence is not the point here in Matthew's gospel. So what does this mission look like? Well, we see after this astounding statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Scaredy cats, go and make disciples of all nations. Wow. So go is the first verb we experience. That's clear. There's two other verbs here that we see in the text. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Go. Baptize. Teach. This is the verbs that we run into immediately in this commissioning text. Baptizing creates that picture of internally what went on when someone is transformed. It's a one-time event where you illustrate and you picture what God has done inside of your heart. Churches and Christians are to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then teach them to obey all that God has commanded. Why? Because what God commands is best for us. God rules his people through his word. He's a gracious, sovereign king, but he's a king nonetheless, and he rules us through his word, through his commands. So where does all this head to? Just a, a brief glimpse of where all this is going. What's, what's the end game here? Where does this mission culminate? What happens at the end of the age? I just want to give you a peek. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. This will inspire Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. I want you to see this. If you have a Bible, I want you to go back and review this from time to time. The end game inspires the game today, the mission today. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Piper John Piper says it probably most succinctly. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission, our mission, every church's mission exists because not all worship the Lord our God. And that's what's going to happen when we are in heaven. So we are to go. In 1929, John Houghton sent 200 missionaries out to a very dangerous era 
and location in China. And he wrote the hymn, The Unfinished Task for the Send-Off. The church in China, you hear today, is flourishing. Underground, but flourishing. Missiologists say in some of these third world countries that more people have been saved in the last 100 years than in the prior 1900 years. The gospel is going forth. I want to read the first verse. Keith and Kristen Getty rewrote this task for an event in 2016. I just want to read this to you. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. Church, according to the Joshua Project, there are 7,402 people groups still unreached with the gospel. That's like 43% of the people groups that can be accounted for. It's a daunting task, our mission. It's huge. It's grand. It's glorious. And you know why we call it a shared value? Because we simply play a part. And we can do more as a family of churches than just one church going solo. So let's ask the question, how are we to go? Does it really matter? Should we just, if you're burdened, go do something? If you got extra gifting, you're charismatic, go do something. Does the Bible just tell us to go randomly, or does the Bible bring some contours to our mission, some shapes, some forms, some structure? I mean, after all, if someone wants to go to Africa for three months and preach the gospel, shouldn't I just be okay with that? Well, maybe. But Scripture does inform our practices, our methods. And so my second point is, we are called to go ecclesiastically. Now, kids, that's a big word, and you can show it off to your friends if you want, but I want you to have some meaning. We're not afraid of big words here, but we want to make sure we understand what they mean. Ecclesia is the root word in the Greek for the church, the gathering. And when we say go and make disciples of all nations, what we see later in scriptures, that involves the church. There are what we could call mission ingredients to what we see in scripture. When the scripture says go and make disciples of all nations, there is a way to do that. And what we see in Scripture, and I can't wait till we get to our study in the book of Acts, on how this is played out, is the obvious ingredient that God uses is the local church. Eckhard Schnabel, he certainly probably was teased in grade school, wrote an outstanding book on early Christian mission, and he has this to say, the directive to make disciples demonstrates the ecclesiological dimension of the mission of the 12. Missionary work and the church must not be separated since the very goal and purpose of missionary work is the creation of a community of disciples. 
He's way more eloquent. I just say, missiology, your conviction, your study of mission, missiology, without ecclesiology isn't biblical. Missiology without ecclesiology isn't biblical. We see in the Great Commission that God calls us to go to all nations. That's the scope. That's the grandness of it all. And this mission is going to go on till the end of this age, we see in this text. So let's think about that. Our mission is to target all nations. That's too much for one person. God's plan involves creating local testimonies, local communities that bear witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And that's really been God's plan all along. How did he start with Israel? He went to some guy that was wandering around, nomadic, barren, going nowhere. His name was Abram. And in Genesis 12, actually I want to read that to you. In Genesis 12, way back before the first people of God were formed, he says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God thinks big. He has a grand mission to reconcile people to himself. Israel simply moved away from that mission. Israel got too self-centered. It was all about Israel. It wasn't about this mission, the scope that God had in his mind. So how does a small church like us be missional? Well, that's where our strategic partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches is so helpful. We can do so much more in this arena than just being a church out there trying to do all it can, put the map of the missionaries that you support, send them back every four years, they're tired, exhausted to get more money. There's a better way to do this. So a couple ways that Practically, boots on the ground. We help plant churches. I got tears in my eyes thinking about the years we got to disciple Kyle Holton this week as I thought about it. Because right now the gospel is going forth in Santa Ana because of your contribution to his life. You see, it started by having a church here, a group of people faithfully bearing witness to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And when he decided to take a year off from education and came here, he was arrested by passionate people pursuing God. And then a call arose in his heart. And as pastors, we take those calls seriously and we sort it through the best way to train him And eventually he went to the pastor's college after a short internship. When he came back, he said, I have a heart to plant a church in Santa Ana. 
He would have gone the first month. We said, I know we think some more discipleship would be important. And 18 months later, after he submitted to that, he didn't go over there to plant a church. He went over there to submit to another pastor in Orange County and then eventually planted a church. We partnered in planting that church. And I don't know about you, but every Tuesday, I'm on his email list and I get to see what God is doing in his church. That's one way that we as a small church can help. We can train up people to plant churches. We can partner with other churches in various ways. You might not be aware of this, but we send money every month to Sovereign Grace Churches to help with a number of things, but part of that is that they have money to help fund church plants. So when you give, you are participating in the Great Commission both in America and beyond through the efforts of Sovereign Grace Churches. Your money helps plant churches. Third, sometimes God calls us to directly be involved. We sent men down to Bolivia before they planted a church. After they planted a church, two weeks before COVID hit, uh, your giving is supporting that church for almost an entire year from the gift that we were able to send from the April special offering. Sometimes we sow into a church directly as the Lord leads. And the final piece, hopefully you do this, we pray. We're not called to globally disciple the nations. We're called to be a witness here. We're going to touch upon that in just a moment. But we can pray and we can give globally while we're acting locally. I want to encourage all of you to get on the Emerging Nations once a month email list. I love getting this. One, it just keeps my mind beyond here. That's good. The more you can think and have reasons to pray, good. But I wanted to highlight, and I think they're gonna throw these up here. First couple of things right on here. Number one, please pray for our pastor's college in Ethiopia. Did you know we have a pastor's college in Ethiopia where we're training men to plant churches and nurture churches? Number two, please pray for our brothers and sisters in Nepal. I don't even know where Nepal is apart from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't even know where Nepal is. We've got church planting going on over there. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Nepal. Third, please pray for Songyeon Kang and his church, the Lord's Grace Church in South Korea. This was a man that planted a church four or five years ago that now Dave Taylor is asking us to pray. And the fourth one, please pray for our newly formed, quote, reaching the unreached work group. Dave Taylor, senior pastor in Sydney, Australia, put together a group because despite all that he's doing, he wants a group of men coming together, thinking and praying strategically. How can we plant churches and have an impact and take this mission to unreached people groups? I hope you'll sign up for that and pray once a month. It is good for your soul to think and pray and give globally while we are acting locally. God uses churches to advance his mission 
And that is one of our convictions drawn from Scripture. Third, we're called to go evangelistically. We're called to go ecclesiastically. We're called to go evangelistically. If you go to our website and click on the About button, and you'll see the seven shared values. The one I read earlier has a sentence in there I want to draw your attention to. That in our gospel centrality, we don't just treasure personally the gospel, but we share it passionately. We treasure it personally, share it passionately. Here's a sentence from our statement of faith. The church's mission is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. We do this by proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, I just mentioned that, and adorning the proclamation of the gospel through our love and good works. Three elements there. We talked about planting churches. We go ecclesiastically. But then what about the individual person? We go evangelistically, and that has two parts. I wish we had more time to develop, but we do proclaim, and we do gather as a church to bear witness to this gospel and this, the transforming power of the gospel. So we go. We go. When there is a local church established, it is our privilege and our call and our responsibility to take and take this gospel to these areas that we have influence, these relationships that we have. But we go with one message. We go to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and none other as we heard today. We boast only in the Lord. We're not here to make sovereign grace disciples. We're not here to make Southern Baptist disciples. We're not here to make Presbyterian disciples. We're here to proclaim the gospel so there's disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our message. We go with that mission lens in our mind to your neighborhood, to your offices, to your relatives over the holidays to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Secondly, how do we do this local influence? We understand we each play a part. Each, every one of you play a part. There's no people on the sidelines taking sabbaticals in retirement or whatever the imagery. The Bible uses some powerful images. In 2 Corinthians 5, the image there is we are ambassadors. Ambassadors go out with the message and the vision and the mission of the one who sent them. That's exactly what we do. It's a powerful image. All of you right here are ambassadors to this area of Tucson. Influencing, living in front of them, adorning the proclamation of the gospel with your life, gathering with a local church. Edmund Clowney, in his great book, The Church, writes, American evangelicals have a tradition of individualism that sees the church as a voluntary club for the converted. That's not a value around here. That's not a value around here. (laughs) If you're going to be a part of our church, You're going to see yourself, by the grace of God, as an ambassador, and he's sending you somewhere. He's sending you somewhere. 
And there's a negative side to this that I just want to introduce. I, I trust you go and study it on your own. But Jesus said something very interesting. I shared it with the pre-service prayer this morning. In Matthew 12, 30, and in Luke eleven twenty three, he says this. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so if your view of church is a voluntary club for the converted that you fit into the mission whenever it's convenient for you, you could very well be scattering in God's mission versus a tool in his gathering. That's sobering, the way Jesus puts it. You are either part of his grand mission to gather and reconcile believers, or you are a scatterer. There's no in-between. He said, I'll read it again, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. I don't want to be a scatterer. I want to be part of his gathering plan. And then thirdly, we go with confidence. We go with one message. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We each have a part to play, and we go very confidently. In this passage, again, we see a couple of things that can add to our confidence. He says, we go, we baptize, we teach in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in this grand mission. That's profound. That should give us confidence as we go. And then secondly, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Those are meant to instill confidence, to inspire us to mission that Jesus will never leave us and never forsake us. So I want to wrap up with a couple of thoughts that we will develop over this next year. Um, and the first one is prepare. H how do you prepare to be on mission? How are you constantly preparing to be ready for mission? Well, one, you can start with your convictions from Scripture. Do you see yourself in the rightful place as Scripture places you, as an ambassador, as one who's not sitting on the sideline comfortably converted. If not, that's where you start. You start with God's Word. Secondly, are you reading and studying your Bible, uh, deepening these convictions, learning about God's ways and His grand mission, learning about Jesus, who's the chief cornerstone? I think Derek and I would say that we believe the church here is doctrinally sound. The word sound in the New Testament means healthy, not perfect, but we believe for the most part you understand God's sovereignty in evangelism, our part in evangelism. Doesn't mean we don't need to grow, but we think that's a plus, and that should be reflected that God has built in you an understanding that we don't have to go to bed 
concerned about results or I didn't say it the right way. What if he gets in a car accident on the way home and dies and goes to hell? We don't carry that burden. God carries that burden. I don't have shoulders to carry that kind of burden. I'm a privileged participant. I am an ambassador. I get to go out with great joy to proclaim this gospel. So I want to prepare in a way that builds that picture that we see emerge from Scripture. How are you preparing? If you need some books to get into, your pastors are more than willing. This quarter's book is Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. That's always the best first book to read. I think the second best book to read is uh, uh, Metzger's book, but we can give you books to read uh, if you want to grow in this preparation arena. Secondly, positioning. How are you actively positioning yourself in this church and personally with relationships? Have you even examined how you build relationships with unbelievers? Do you even have any unbeliever relationships? I had uh, one of those moments that you just never know when it's going to happen, and uh, a lawyer at our firm uh, was down, and he got word that his father had passed away, and I'd been trying to just gently build a relationship with him over the year that I've known him, Um, and uh, you just never know when this is going to happen. He comes in, he's leaving some materials, he's got to race back to the Phoenix area, and we find out that his father abruptly died, and when he got done leaving instructions, I said, hey, Kent, can we just take a moment and pray for you? And thank God Chris is in our office, because I know I could walk in and interrupt whatever he's doing, he would let us pray, (laughs) and I wanted a little privacy, and our assistant followed us in there, and the four of us prayed just briefly for this man in his time of need, when we got done, he hugged me and he thanked us for praying for him. I believe God positioned me for that moment. Who knows where it'll go? But how are you positioning yourself relationally? How are you positioning yourself in this church? We'll talk about that in the coming weeks and months. And then we prepare, we position, but we proclaim. I'll tell you right now, I don't like this statement. Preach the gospel always. Use words when necessary. Now, there's a shred of truth there. It speaks to our bearing witness to uh, Jesus Christ. But you can't read the New Testament and come away without proclaiming the gospel. Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He didn't say, woe is me if I don't live as a good witness. There is a place for us to learn how to proclaim the gospel. You build a relationship with a neighbor for years, and then an event happens, and they say, tell me about your faith. Would you be ready? We proclaim the gospel. I think our senior pastor is an outstanding example, giving us every Sunday from the passage of Scripture, sometimes the the same words a different way to preach this glorious gospel. Week in and week out, we get schooled. Are you ready to proclaim the gospel? So when we go to Matthew 28, we see that 
Jesus commissions those 11. If you go and read Acts, such an important book, because if we didn't have Acts and we just went to the epistles, that's decades later. In the book of Acts, you see God saving people and building local churches that influence that area, and yet there's still a grand plan to save the world through church planting abroad. So the church and evangelism go hand in hand. And then you and I are part of this church. And we have the privilege of influencing this area of town while we gather regularly to bear witness, to faithfully proclaim that Jesus is the Christ.